0: We're gonna go through seven key points to follow when it comes to resilient prepping. And then we'll get into more details and examples of the different levels of tech that might serve you well. So point number one, I want you to have a solution for each of the tech levels, for each of the areas that you're preparing for. Remember, there's going to be a high tech, a low tech and a no tech Solution. The no tech solution is typically the off grid solution or the no electricity solution. And by the way, survival is very difficult in a no tech environment, but it is possible. We need to have solutions in the no tech category in order to make it through what's coming. Point number two the lower your technology level in terms of your preparedness gear and activities and so on, the more resistant you are to EMP attacks. Cyber hacking, ransomware, and grid failures. Now, right now, there are a lot of cyber attacks because of the situation with Russia, and there are threats of EMP attacks from China and North Korea, and perhaps Russia as well. Imagine what would happen if all your electronics stopped functioning because of an EMP attack. You would be instantly shifted from a high tech scenario to a low tech scenario. So, high tech. Tractors, as I have mentioned in the intro, are tractors with circuit boards in them. Low-tech tractors, which are EMP proof, are tractors without circuit boards. Those are older tractors. Same thing with vehicles. A high-tech vehicle is a modern vehicle, lots of electronics, onboard computers, everything. A low-tech vehicle is typically a vehicle that's pre-1986 or something in that range, and they have carburetors instead of fuel injectors, and they don't use complex circuitry at all. They still have wires, but they don't have circuit boards and they can run without circuit boards functioning. So understand that low tech can still mean you have engines, you have motors, you have wires, you have you know some pretty capable tools. Think about low tech as a pre-1980s existence in America. And as you may recall, if you were alive before the 1980s, you can still live You don't have an internet, you don't have computers, you don't have mobile phones, you don't have complex circuit boards, but you still have, you know, vehicles and tractors and trucks and excavators, you still have farming operations, and transportation, people sent letters via the US mail, if you can believe that. And there's a lot of, you know, the mail was used to transfer a lot of documents. We didn't even have fax technology back then, but society still functioned if you wanted to know where to go to buy something, you use the yellow pages. You actually had a a big thick book delivered to your house and you could go to the section on uh, plumbing, let's say, and try to find plumbers. And that was the search engine of the day was the yellow pages. And then the plumbers would pay the yellow page publishing company to put their ads in the plumbing section. That's how it worked. And it did work. Society was still Functional. So, yes, we can live without advanced technology. But we did have phones that worked. You know, we did have a telecommunication system. The banks functioned in the 1970s, obviously. So, we had low tech, but we still had a lot of things working. Well, in a no tech environment, you won't have banks. You won't have a power grid. You won't have municipal water. You won't have mail. You'll have essentially just whatever resources you can get locally and nothing that's on the grid will be working. So just keep that in mind. Okay, point number three, the lower your tech level, the more easily you can acquire parts or fabricate your own parts. And what I mean by this is if you have an old tractor, to use that example again, it's much easier to make your own parts for that tractor if you had to, compared to modern tractors where you have to get a new circuit board or a modern HVAC system, you have to get a new circuit board or a modern vehicle, you have to get the right part and it's a very complex part. Oh, it's got polymers in it and it's got exotic rare earth elements. And it's just, and it comes from China and is not available. So think about repairing things. If your local food supply depends mostly on a shovel and a rake and a hoe, you know, you can fix those things. It's not that difficult if you have some basic welding skills and and you still have some power functioning. Maybe you have a generator that works as a welder as well. That's pretty common. You can fix it yourself or you can find somebody nearby, perhaps, that can fix it. But when you need very complex parts, because you have a complex thing, is it's, it's impossible to get those parts. Think about sewing machines. So I remember when I was growing up, my grandmother used to have a foot-powered sewing machine on a table at her house. And I was always sort of confused by that. I'm like, why would you have a foot-powered sewing machine when you could just have an electric one? Right? As a kid, I didn't understand resilient prepping. And uh, she kept the foot-powered sewing machine. It's probably worth a fortune now. I don't even know where it is. If you could sew by using your feet as the power source, imagine how useful that would be in a grid down scenario. Whereas modern sewing machines have complex circuit boards in them, of course. And they're very difficult to maintain if something breaks. You typically throw them away and buy a new sewing machine because they're so inexpensive because of mass production in China. So right now I'd rather have an antique sewing machine run with a foot pedal or an antique adding machine. Did I tell you I collect old computational machines? Yeah, I, I buy old tractors, but I also go to eBay and I buy old calculators that are all purely physical. Basically adding machines and there are some more complex machines that can do multiplication and division as well. I have some of those machines as well. Those machines are made in the old Soviet Union, by the way, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. You can get machines, that used to be made in Italy, some out of the UK. You know, mechanical computers. Would that be handy in a collapse? Absolutely. What's the power source? It's your hand usually pulling a lever, like ka-ching, ka-ching, you know, the old cash registers. You punch the buttons for the numbers and then you go ka-ching and it does the math. Mechanically, they actually have little wheels in there that, that do the numbers. Pretty handy thing to have. And the reason I collect those is because I knew all this was coming. I've seen that we're gonna be living in a world with a collapse of complex systems and circuit boards and electricity and so on. So I've actually been at this kind of low tech prepping for quite a long time. I've always had a sense that this is where we were going to end up. So to summarize point three here, just think about the fact that the lower the tech level of the items you own, the more effectively you mitigate supply chain risk, does that make sense? The simpler the things are, the more easily you can create parts locally or source them locally. And there are a lot of uh, fabrication technologies. I'm going to mention them throughout all of this. There are 3D printers, of course. Although the the polymers that are used in 3D printers have you know limited applications. You can't replace a metal part with you know a, polymer out of a 3D printer, doesn't have the strength. But there's also small scale local metal forging or casting. And in fact, right now, I've I've just purchased a couple of metal casting uh, devices in order to do my own casting locally, where you literally melt metal, and then you pour it into a mold and you create a new part. So is that a handy technology to have? In a world where the supply chain is breaking down, are those useful skill sets? Absolutely. And there are a lot of online videos about this too. There's sand casting, where you use a special kind of sand to create the empty mold of the part you want to pour. And then you melt down your metal and you pour it into the sand and then it cools off and it creates the part. And then you might have to kind of polish the part and because it's pretty crude. But you can make your own metal parts, and that's a very handy technology to have. So low-tech can mean things like casting metal, welding, and if you have electricity, even 3D printing at the local level, as long as you have 3D printers that are still working. However, again, if you start to lose circuitry, you know, if your printers break, you're you're pretty much uh, out of business because you can't get replacement parts. Whereas metal casting is very low tech. Usually you use propane to heat the, the holding device that holds the metal. So you have to have a fuel source, you know, a heat source. And uh, there's really not any circuitry involved. So metal casting is very low tech. Very handy to know that skill set. Point number four the lower the tech level you choose, the more localized everything becomes and the more decentralized and this should be obvious from what we've talked about here, but if you're choosing super high-tech things like sewing machines or automobiles or tractors or whatever, then your supply chain is global. If you go super low-tech, your supply chain can become domestic. You might be able to get everything you need from America, or you might be able to get it in your own community. And again, coming down to garden implements, you need shovels, you need rakes to repair them. You can probably find a local person who can do welding if you can't, or you can, you might even be able to find a local blacksmith person or even master metal forging yourself to where you could make an ax head. Let's say, or you could make a hammer, you could forge a hammerhead and then find a piece of wood and put it together. It's a skill, but you can do it. You can learn how to do it. It's not even very complicated. You just have to have some sources of metal. Oh, and that reminds me, everybody's saving all their metal that I know. Everybody in Central Texas, where people used to take their metal to go in and get recycled, and they would get like 50 cents a pound or something for a truckload of scrap metal. Yeah, that's not happening anymore. Everybody's sitting on all their metal because they know what's happening to the prices. Everybody's saving copper, like old copper wiring. Nobody's throwing it away. (laughs) You might think, wow, everybody's hoarding. No, everybody's smart. They know what's happening. People are saving their aluminum, saving old metal beams, you know, I-beams and things like that. Anything made out of metal, everybody's holding on to now, because you're going to need a source of metal in order to make the parts you need in order to survive in a no-tech environment. This is one more reason why it's advantageous to live out in the country, because in the country you have the space to store stuff. And if you ever wonder why some farms look kind of like a junkyard, it's not a junkyard. It's a, an archive of raw materials, it turns out. If you have an old tractor implement or something that's rusting out in a field, someone from the city might think that's useless, but someone who lives in the country understands, no, that's a source of metal. That right there, that's iron. Yeah, it's rusting on the outside, but we can melt that down, we can make new parts out of that. Yeah, it's it's important to learn to think that way about all of this. Point number five, I urge you to de-automate your day-to-day life. Now, automation means high-tech. It, it requires high-tech. So if you have everything automated in your home and in your life, you're probably using cloud-based systems to do that. Or, or computing systems, but mostly people are doing it in the cloud, even reminders on your your mobile phone. If you're automating your home for example, you have a smart home, which I think is a dumb idea, frankly. But a lot of people love their smart homes. And then sometimes when the internet goes down, they're locked out of their homes cuz their their door locks don't function. And some people love the smart cars like the Tesla cars and then guess what happens when the Tesla servers go offline? Your car won't start because the car can't authenticate with the Tesla servers and it will refuse to function. (laughs) There are even tractors made by John Deere that if you stop making payments on the tractor, they'll turn off the tractor remotely because the tractor talks to John Deere in order to make sure that it is properly purchased and licensed and that it has the latest software downloads for the embedded firmware systems that run the tractor. This is all bad. You don't want any of this in your life because it will all fail. You'll be sitting on a $200,000 non functioning tractor that was too high tech. And now the servers are down and you can't use it. Sure would have been better to have a, a 1973 John Deere, right? Like the ones that I have. So, everywhere across your life and for your preparedness, I want you to opt for low tech wherever possible. Start thinking about low tech solutions in everything that you acquire for preparedness. And Low-tech can mean that it still uses electricity. So we're not going to lose the power grid everywhere all the time. You may have outages, but you could still get some electricity when it comes back up. But low-tech or no-tech is the way to go. And remember, for every system that we talk about here, I want you to have a no-tech alternative, such as a a hand-pumped water well, for example. That's a no-tech solution. You have that set up ahead of time and you have to pump it with your hand, you know, just like old times. Maybe your grandparents or great-grandparents remember the time when that was the function. You know the term icebox for a refrigerator without electricity. You know how that used to work, right? There was the ice man that would come around and deliver ice, a big block of ice, and you put it in your ice box. And then the things that you have in there get cooler as the ice melts. That's why it's called an ice box. It didn't run on electricity. And yeah, you actually had an ice delivery man run around. What a job that would be. Ice is kind of heavy, right? Big block of ice. (laughs) Can you imagine doing that today, running around delivering ice to people? Uh, It could happen again. Point number six, become proficient in the operation and maintenance of low-tech systems. This is why it's important to own and use low tech or even no tech systems right now, because you need to learn how to maintain them. You need to understand their operating principles, whether it's a tractor or a sewing machine or a vehicle or a carburetor or a stove, you know, a wood stove, a cook stove, a rocket stove, so you can cook food and boil water off grid. There are a lot of people who buy a lot of stuff and stick it on a shelf. It's like, oh yeah, I own rocket stoves. And you ask him, have you ever used the rocket stove to make a meal? No. I'm just saving it for bad times, they'll say. And I understand that. There's stuff I own that I haven't used either. But I make it a point to learn how to use almost everything that I own. So do you know how to start a fire? What if you don't have lighters? (laughs) How do you start a fire then? Do you know how to start a fire with a magnesium fire starter? just scraping magnesium off and then you scrape some sparks, you know, and it lights up. Now you have a fire. Have you ever done that? It takes a little bit of hand strength to do that. A little bit of technique. Do you own magnesium fire starters? Because those are no tech devices. Magnesium fire starters. Yeah. You want to stock up on something that is um, worth its weight in gold, almost in the right circumstances. Magnesium fire starters. Because lighters like BIC lighters won't be around for very long because they're complex things probably made in China and those supply chains are going to break down. So this this is all I'm saying is whatever low tech and no tech strategies that you're going to resort to, make sure you know how to do those things in advance. A lot of this is skills based. And some of this comes down to things like learning how to tie knots. Learning how to use paracord and tying knots, you know, something you can easily learn right now by just watching videos, but that requires an internet. Typically, unless you have DVDs or something, you can go online and watch all kinds of videos about how to tie knots. And you'll notice when it comes to knot tying, if you don't use that skill a lot, you lose it because there's some knots I've learned that I've forgotten because I don't use them every day. So it's important to use the things we learn so that it becomes second nature. And then point number seven, it is important to understand the role of certain high-tech solutions to help maintain low-tech operations. And 3D printers is a great example of this. So using a 3D printer, I can design and I can print parts that can help repair and maintain low-tech systems. This is why I think 3D printing is a really important technology for self-reliance and resilience. But you also need to either know how to use the 3D CAD software systems, which, which I do. I spent some time learning those systems and designing a lot of 3D parts. And that is a skill, that, that, it's a, that's a complex skill actually. Or you need to download a library of a lot of parts that you think you might need, so you have the digital files and then hope you have electricity so you can actually do the printing, print out the parts and so on. So some technologies, some high-tech solutions actually have a place in a low-tech or no-tech world. And it's going to be fascinating, I think, to see how high technology is adapted into low-tech scenarios in the years ahead, because we will have some level of functioning laptop computers that'll still be around. You know, people will have functioning uh, GPS receivers, for example, for navigation. There's gonna be 3D printers. I don't know what else is is gonna be around, maybe satellite phones, things like that. Uh, Solar generators and solar panels and so on that can help you live off-grid and in a low-tech world. Uh, Even a high-tech water filter has a place in an off-grid survival scenario you know, a ceramic filter that took a lot of technology to create, they have a place. Or even a high-tech welding device, a welder or a TIG welder, MIG welder, I don't know, different kinds of welding. Those are high-tech devices, but they have a place in low-tech maintenance and off-grid living. So think about those solutions. When you buy high-tech devices, make sure that they don't rely on the cloud, in order to function. Technology isn't bad. It's just that you don't want technology that has to talk to the cloud in order to function. You want technology that will work locally and then also understand that that technology will only work for a limited period of time. One day it's going to stop working because all devices do. One day your hard drives will stop working. One day your laptop will stop working. One day your solar panel will stop. One day the the lithium ion batteries in your solar generator will no longer function. And that's probably only a thousand cycles down the road. So these are only temporary devices, what I call bridge technology, to help you transition into a low-tech or a no-tech world. And it's critical to understand that simple truth, because if you think you're going to be able to rely on solar power forever, you're not. It's only temporary because the whole infrastructure that created that system with all the mining and minerals and manufacturing and logistics and shipping and everything, ocean vessels, that whole system is collapsing. So forget about new solar panels. You're gonna have to work with the ones that are still functioning here.